You're listening to episode 180 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Skippy, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, The Reaper, as we continue our look at season three of TNT's The Librarians. And special circumstances today, we're back in Studio B. I know. In the same room together. Like face-to-face. This is yeah. weird. It's freaking me out Wearing a pants, and, you know, this is... Uh, <laughs> All right. Yeah, this Might is, have gone a little too far with that yeah, one, This is going to be yeah. a little different, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, so despite the gods and fate's best effort to curtail this podcast, we're here and ready to go. And yeah, we should have a certain amount of tenacity, dare I say, you know, mythic heroism in uh, you know, fighting against all odds to, to get this thing done. Well, hope, hopefully it won't be a Pyrrhic victory. And, uh, right. Anyway, so uh, we're here to discuss The Librarians Season 3, Episodes 4 and 5, titled The Librarians and the Self-Fulfilling Prophecy and The Librarians and the Tears of a Clown. But, and, you know, as always, shoot us an email, sci-fi-tv-rewatch at gmail.com. Check out the website, leave a voicemail. Record your own audio clip if you want. Send us the MP3 or tweet us at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. And then, as always, check out the Facebook group. Join in the discussions there. So uh, we got a lot to talk about. Somewhat limited time frame, but we're in pretty good shape. Yeah. So, all right. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Let's do it. Librarians in the Self-Fulfilling Prophecy, Episode 304, written by Tom McRae, who did three episodes of Doctor Who. 205, really? Rise of the Cybermen. Oh, okay. 206, Age of Steel. Right, they go together. And then 610, The Girl Who Waited, which oh. is... Oh, that's uh, one of my favorites. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. How do I not know the writer of like, one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes? I, I know. I mean, really, all three of them. Yeah. And well, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, the, the Cybermen ones are awesome. That's like the best, I think, cliffhanger of, of maybe of all the Doctor Who's is, yeah. you know, the end with David Tennant there. That was awesome. Yep. Well, well done. And, and always great to see Rose. And then, of course, Amy and The Girl Who Waited. But directed by Dean Devlin, and this one aired December 11th, 2016. All right, so, you know, on the one hand, as a standalone episode, you know, we were talking about this about a week ago when we thought we were getting ready to podcast <laughs> about this one. Somewhat problematic for me, but you think I'm wrong. I totally think you're wrong, but... Well, no, I mean not wrong because it's your opinion, and like, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I just I disagree. I kind of like standalones. This is like one thing I like about Supernatural is that they I like they have like the literally Monster of the Week uh, episodes, um, and yeah, like I, I know a lot of people they want like the whole you know the the, the arc over a whole season. Um, and the, the, obviously, I enjoy that too. Like you look at Westworld, right? There's there's no standalones or anything like that. But like with a, a show like The Librarians and like Supernatural, um, I enjoy the standalones. And you know, I guess I I think I came closer to your line of reasoning as I thought more about it. I guess for me, they introduce Apep, they introduce Dosa. Neither's really addressed in this episode, but. I guess more to the point, I guess I didn't really feel like there was all that much character development. And, and to be honest, I'm not sure there's that much in the next episode we're going to talk about either. That said, it was still an enjoyable episode. I still like this one. It's not in the A range for me. I'm still thinking B plus for me. I can't remember what I gave it. Hold on, let me scroll to the end to see if I gave it a grade. Nope, I didn't. I'll have to, I'll have to talk it out. Okay, to be determined. All right, yeah. so now... 
On the plus side, the depiction of the Reaper was about as dark as this show ever gets. And coupled with that black quartz cavern or whatever it was, I mean, it's just like death right around the corner. So certainly I thought that was cool. But I I was wondering whether the show is maybe intentionally getting a little heavier, reminding us that really every time they go into the field, death is right around the corner. And, you know, they seem to get out of it. and, And certainly we know that, well, or do we know that none of them are going to get killed off? Well, oh yeah, I mean, we don't do that, though. We really doubt that it would happen. You know, it's just, it's not that type of show, right? This isn't Game of Thrones. This isn't The Walking Dead. This show will not have you coming back week to week just to see who gets killed and right. who doesn't, right? And not that I'm saying that that's all there is to Game of Thrones, though maybe Walking Dead <laughs> kind of... <laughs> <laughs> right, but, but, it, but it's like but, uh, but nobody he, feels safe. Right, and I think they do a, a pretty decent job of um, making us feel the peril, but not to the degree where we really are concerned. Because I think we still, with the type of show the librarians is, we feel kind of safe that they're not going to, you know, kill off any of these characters, right? You because know, unless Rebecca Romaine gets like a big movie role or something, and then all of a sudden, you know. But other than that. But a 10 episode, she can do both. Sure. So Now, obviously, one of the other things I really loved about this episode is something that, that we talk about almost on a daily basis in our job, which is that whole fate versus free will concept. And, and can fate be defeated? So, I, you know, I, I love the fact that that is addressed in this episode. You know, that whole idea of the Guardian protects the librarians. Who protects the Guardian? Which right. was a nice... Nice little detail. Right. And then... Quis custodiet ispos custodis. Okay. <laughs> but it's he, like who watches, who guards the guardian, who watches the watchman that's oh. from Juvenile, yeah. Okay. Love that, I pr- forget Love that my, movie, my, by the way. My, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Watchmen. That's a great movie. So um, forget my, my brutalization of the, uh, the Latin there. Okay, we need, I know I was trying to... We need to, Kate's here. <laughs> right. But, you know, one of the things that I, I see that I even added into my notes, I'm not sure I had it last time, but... I guess it would fly in the face of my argument that this is a standalone and doesn't push the arc forward is that idea we get at the very end that Eve is somehow going to change the fate of the library. Well, that's kind of big when yeah. you know, when I think about it. So yeah, that's probably wrong of me to. This is big, but it's not like, she didn't say like the fate of the world, just like the fate of the library. Well, true. It's like, what, is she going to like, you know, she's going to add an extra shelf, you know? It's going to change over from the, the card catalog. We're going computers now. See, I'm going to predict they add an annex. They add a wing. Right. They add a wing that's, to the library. Okay, that's a crazy, that's a crazy okay, prediction, well, dude. Right, we'll but see if it comes true. All right, well, opening scene. You know, I love the disoriented, cold open Yeah, we got two of them actually in a row here, right? Yeah, yeah. And they awaken a dark, wet cavern. No memory of how they got there. So I was glad, though, that at least they knew each other. Right. I, I, I kind of hate that concept, and, and it's got its benefits when you know you don't remember anything and you don't know who these other people are, which is sort of like dark matter. But, right. Well, we see it a lot. I mean, I was thinking of um, the uh, the Maze Runner, right? Did you, oh yeah, you saw that movie, yeah, right? yeah where you know he just kind of like we, you know, it's it's because it puts the audience in the same place as as the heroes. He has no idea what's going on. They have no idea what's going. on. We don't know what's going on. Um, so we're all in the same boat, and we can go ride along with 
the hero or heroes in this case, as they discover what happened, we're right there with them. We don't know any more or any less than they know. I've got the Scorch Trials DVR'd, but I haven't seen it yet. It's pretty good. Okay. Well, a cleaning lady appears, high-pitched sound, and and again, you know, a lot of times I watch with closed captioning on. They're calling it loud metallic ringing. Yeah. So, you know what I I thought? It It was like the Terminator. Yeah, I thought it reminded me of the music. Whenever the Terminator showed up, it's kind of like the the sound it made there. But instead, it was the cleaning lady. Yeah, which, but, as it turns know, out, exactly, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. But Jones remembers pizza. Of, yeah, of, of course, course he does. Right. So, I mean, my question with that is: Are they going to? Is this? I mean, now it's an official thing. Now, obviously, you know, is it? Is there going to be a point where him? And the pizza just gets, we're like, had enough of it and just like, let's move on from the pizza. Well, what I'd like to see is Stone take his axe or crowbar and knock the pizza out of Right, you have to spin it first and then knock the pizza out of it. Yeah, that'd be good. But then he remembers anchovies and then suddenly Eve's like, there was pizza, which was cool. So I love the use of the flashback. I would probably remember the garlic bread before. Well, good point. I'm with Jake there. I like garlic bread. All right. But I like flashbacks and and I thought they did that really well. So so we flashback to Eve Cassandra Jones eating at a pizza joint in Las Vegas. So again, you always like seeing them in a less pressurized situation and that sure. Certainly yeah, just could. being like regular people. Right. But we know it's not going to last long, which right. of course it does But in this little moment, they can just hang out and they don't have to save the world or anything right. like Cause, that. Because they already did, because they found a real pyramid hud- hidden under one yeah. of the Vegas pyramids, which yeah. <laughs> nice. But then and the whole idea that they're worried about Eve being lonely with Flynn gone, I, well, that is character development. So I'm, I was wrong in what I said initially, that you know they and we've talked they're bonding as a family and the fact that they are worried that mom might be lonely cuz dad's away is is touching it's sweet i, I yeah, really like but it but if mom looks like that you really have to worry about her being lonely well actually dad should be worried yeah, <laughs> when he's when he's off doing his if, thing if but mom looked like that dad shouldn't stay away too uh, too long so somebody leaves eve a silver compact the lights suddenly go out, and and again, I love the fact that everybody freezes sure. except them. Right, and then the guy in the black gown and the hood with two blades for hands. We need yeah. a name for him, um, Blady. Actually, I think Stone was calling him something, or maybe maybe it was Jones. But maybe I forgot. But Eve Baird tonight leaves a cube and an hourglass. Okay, well, the hourglass is never a good sign. We know that from no. Wizard of Oz when we're you know, little kids. But we don't know about the cube. So then I, I love how they take us back to Jenkins, who tells them it's the Reaper and you know the whole supernatural assassin. Somebody has put a hit on Eve. Yes, that is true. All right, so what do you make of the prophecy cube? Again, there's certain parts of, of the plot here. Uh, and the, especially when you're talking about prophecy and self-fulfilling prophecies that despite multiple watchings of this episode, really, I just kind of like went back to the, just, okay, I'm just going to run with it. <laughs> and, and I'll just, if I can keep a hold of the main story, we'll, we'll stick with that. And, uh, because it gets like, it gets pretty freaking confusing. Well, it like, does. And, and I mean, like a lot of stuff in the, in the librarians, it's rooted in classical mythology, Sure. Whether Greek, Roman, uh, Norse, but like you said, the the explanations and we generally get them. It's it's just too much. That yeah, okay, we're with you. Like yeah, you said, exactly. But um, yeah, you know, 
But I, you know how like using that cube as some method to get inside the library, I thought was was pretty neat. But why they had to be inside the library? I know Eve saw herself getting killed inside the library, right? But, like she saw herself like literally inside the library, not inside a cube inside the library. So it just then null null and voids the right the whole. I, see, this I, is what I'm talking about. Right? I know. This but, is what we're saying. <laughs> but but I, I like we we find out these little details dropped in our laps as we go along that that there's somebody another magic user that wants to take out a magic user. So who wants to take? Who would want to take out Eve? Well, you know, most of the people, I guess, Apep. Yeah. So we're the, the list is pretty probably fairly long. Although we dispatched a few last season, true. But I love the fact that they use the red sand. There's something sinister mm-hmm. about yeah. red sand and the red and the black. Um, but then we get back to another flashback. They're back in the cave, and they encounter another guy that that kid Tyson who's carrying swimming goggles. And again, you know, all these like, okay, why are we all wet? Why has he got swimming goggles? Right. I mean, it's like this kind of happens all the time on the librarians, right? Where just random stuff that just seemingly makes absolutely no sense. Um, that, you know, a principal and a cleaning lady and a kid from the swim team, like what? Like, yeah. Now I'm, I was going to say at, at some point, if you hear me chewing, uh, we're <laughs> recording this uh, during lunch. Wayne, Wayne hasn't opened his uh, lunch bag yet, but uh, I've already cracked out my turkey sandwich, but Jenkins tells him it's the Reaper. As we said, the supernatural assassin, so the cleaning lady, we still don't know at this point. She's also from the school. But Eve then recognizes the young guy from the clippings book. And as they realize, and they've learned over time, it takes a lot of magic to summon the clippings book. Sure. But we still don't know what the deal is with the cube. And, of course, that's, been, that's Jenkins' role in this episode. And, you know, kind of I think what you were alluding to earlier, he lays out the story of the Oracle of Delphi. The cube was forged by story of Perseus and the present stone start. Okay, enough. We get it. (laughs) All right. We need to defeat the prophecy. As Eve says, I'd rather have a heads up than be blindfolded, which I guess in her line of work makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah, but you know, and the kind of like the, the kicker for Greek myths, which over and over again, we see like, first of all, you should probably never, ever even go to any kind of, oracle or anything like that someone says all right go to the oracle like no i I would i'd rather not because ultimately the people you know you hear something you hear something bad and you want to try to avoid it of course by avoiding it you actually bring about the thing you're trying to avoid so they have a nice little nice little plot device here because instead of eve dying they they come up with a way oh well we can create a a bigger prophecy or something like that and and again here's where it gets confusing but you know, it's the the point is, is that you you know fate is kind of set, you know, and and every time in mythology when someone tries to uh, change their fate, it comes out to be a you know self fulfilling prophecy, as uh, the Perseus's uh, grandfather here, uh, King Acrisius, saw, and of course most famously, um, you know Oedipus. Right, and and certainly his descendants, you know, Antigone doesn't have it any easier. Right. But but what I, I really loved about this is, you know, Eve finds out she's going to die by the Reaper within the library walls, and other than Jenkins, the others want to get Eve out of the library, and 
you know, obviously we've come to trust Jenkins' judgment in these things, and I really love the fact that Eve, despite her military training and, and Jenkins, I would say lack of military training, but that's... Well, he was a knight, I, I was so. going to say he's... He, <laughs> yeah, that's had, not exactly true. I think that there's a little bit of military training went along with that. Yeah, but he's she's willing to listen to his idea, and he tells her the library is reaper-proof, but she's adamant she saw her death in the library and yet she's still willing to you know follow what he says which is no, don't worry but of course that's usually the kiss of death in right. most shows yes if something is death proof all right the clippings book shows stories about amazing luck that seems to befall members of the mayfield high uh, student body eve is Eve is Eve. She's not going to stand by, wait for fate to get her. She's going to go meet fate head on, which is what she does. But another flashback. That was pretty cool visual. We've talked about the special effects and that, okay, whatever. But when the Reaper comes through the wall, that was yeah, kind of cool. That was, yeah. Yeah. We've, I, okay. I shouldn't say we. I have given this show a hard time about the special effects, but this one was actually pretty, pretty decent. So. Right. Just say what's everybody doing. Just yeah, I know. <laughs> and then immediately Eve gets in front of, to protect the others, asks why the Reaper's not attacking. It's not your time yet. Look, he gave you the hourglass, you know. Like, right. Stupid question. Even I knew that one. But but I just like her attitude. I, I just sure. love that. They go through the portal to get to the high school. Oh, that's this where uh, uh, Ezekiel calls the Reaper Mister Stubby Fingers. Oh, here. right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there there were some good lines, and this may be my favorite. And and uh, obviously, apropos for what we do. Yeah. They realize they're in the high school. They're walking down the hall, the most dangerous environment known to mankind, <laughs> says Cassandra. Yeah, high school. And you know, on the one hand, I, I, we know a lot of people would laugh at that, and and certainly we laugh at it. But when we when you learned her background, and we get a lot of what she must have gone through, you know, in the episode at the STEM fair, that it, high school was really difficult for her and, and sure. for kids like her. I mean, yeah, absolutely, right. I mean, it's not so much. I mean, we uh, where we teach, there's you know, literally hundreds of kids like her, mm-hmm. but well, it's not always the case, right. Right. I think probably some of those kids still kind of have a hard time even here, you know, but, uh, but yeah, she's, she's, uh, and we wonder how much time she actually was in high school, right? Yeah, sure. Right. And and then the first thing we see though, is Tyson trying to protect another kid from a bully. So, you know, did they throw that in there just to kind of reinforce what Cassandra must have gone through? Well, and also reinforce that Tyson's a good guy. Uh, Sure. Sure. And that, so we don't really suspect him. Yeah, like they took that one off. All right, so every time they go somewhere and they're questioned about who they are. They drop the line. We're the librarians, right? Didn't, Works every did, time. Didn't work this time. No. Nope. Nope. Do you have ID? <laughs> and they said, no, Mrs. Uh, whatever her name is, is yeah. the librarian. So like, it, it it doesn't work on people who's uh, have more prosaic minds, I guess. Right. Way of saying but, but, of course, he's worried about the fact that 17 of their students – had their grades improved dramatically, and it must have been some kind of a test or something, you know, a standardized test. He thinks they're from the school board to investigate this, 
Well, that's that's the point at which he warms up to him is when they're like, "Oh, well, we heard your test scores went up." And he's like, "Oh, so like now it's like before he's like, oh, like who are you?'" And they're like, "Oh, you you want to talk about our test scores going up? Yeah, let's talk about that." You right. Know? So, so it's like, does number seventeen have any kind of meaning? I, I probably should have looked that up. I don't know. Okay, but because it's seventeen that improved, they won lotteries and they're all on the swim team. So we're like, okay. So we find out about the lake water of it might lake. Might have been like the writer's like number back in high school. Yeah, or good point. All right. So the uh, Lake Parnassus in Greece apparently has magical properties. Tyson, one of the things he won, sent him on a trip to Greece. He brings back the water because it, as we said, has these magical properties. But the goggles also appear to be magic. Or right? Did I miss something? No, because they they put them on and and then they see. The future, right? Right, right, right. Because right. both Stone and Jones uh, put them on, and then we we learn. Okay, well, that's how seventeen of them won and passed the tests. But seeing personal prophecies, and you know, like Eve says earlier, she'd rather know what's going on than than be surprised. And you know, they put them on. Thunder crashes. Reaper shows up. Mm, everybody noise. falls in the pool. <laughs> what's that? Terminator noise. Terminator noise. Right. All right. Got another flashback. They realize everybody fell in the pool, and they're back in the cavern. Eve puts on the goggles and sees what they need to do to get out. And, again, one of my favorite lines, I hate prophecy more than I hate time travel. Um, Which is, like, that's, like, pretty big. I mean, she spent, like, you know, 400 years as a statue. So, you know, like, she probably really hates time travel. Um, so she must really, really hate prophecy. Right. And certainly they was there another time travel episode other than that one? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, obviously that's still on her mind. Hasn't been that far away, but suddenly a wall falls separating them into two groups. I'm like, all right. I, you know, we, we love the way they're always, they always seem to be working in two teams or sometimes three teams. Um, I guess it seemed kind of arbitrary, but you know, it took me back to the episode where they're with the uh, werewolves, you know. Right. And well, I, I think on a practical level that it's difficult to write an episode where you have like five or six characters all going around together um, trying to accomplish a goal, and how do you like, keep all those characters alive and involved and everything like that? It's probably, I think, a lot easier just to do you know a group of three and then a group of three because then each character gets a bunch of lines and they can you know comment on what's happening and everything. Right. Um, whereas if you get five, I mean, you're always going to have like like it would be normally me if like as a group of five people, I'm going to be the guy who doesn't say anything to anyone. You know? Well, I'm also wondering whether the information that was out there at the beginning of the season is incorrect, where they, where they were saying Noah Wiley was going to appear in seven episodes, and you know we're kind of running out of time here. But yeah. you know when we've got him, where we've got six, they can do two, two, and two. But regardless, we've got Jones and Stone together, Tyson and Eve, Principal and the Cleaning Lady together, and then, of course, Jenkins is back at the library. But Stone's group goes through that door, ends up in the room with the Greek letter tiles on the floor, and an inscription says this is the Zeus challenge, and one of my favorite scenes, because once he realizes it's gold, he knows Jones has got the gold that he stole, we assume, from the, the pyramid. The pyramid, yeah. He, he said he got it from the pyramid. Right, back in Vegas, and mm-hmm. he's like, no, 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 not, not my gold. 
Right. But but I also like that the way they figure it out. Once he gets down to his last coin, he'd already seen the vision of him giving the coin to sure. the museum. Right. So, so obviously we get out of this. Right. right? So whichever yeah. I throw it, you know that. So that was definitely a cool, uh, cool idea. But Cassandra and Jenkins are at the library, worry about Eve not answering, and you know they find her phone lying on the ground by the pool, and another prophecy cube floating in the water, and. You know, again, this whole not knowing what the other group is doing and, and you know, seeing, I don't want to say remnants, but artifacts that the other group leaves behind and yep. trying to figure out what's going on, I, I really like that. But the whole idea of stopping a self-fulfilling prophecy, they, they come up with this idea that you've got to find an overriding prophecy. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And yeah, and here, like as as we uh, talked about before, here's where it just gets like really confusing, and uh, you know where it was, uh, you know, I'm I'm having enough difficulty balancing this, uh, you know, single prophecy that's supposed to happen. Now we're making larger prophecies and side prophecies and everything like this. Is, this is why I never play craps. It's just too much information coming at one right. time. Well, and, and speaking of too much information, you know that that. You know, the, the whole idea of the goggles gives them, on the one hand, information they wish they didn't have. On the other hand, information that they certainly need because, you know, she puts them on, Eve, that is, and she sees Stone and Jones attacking with weapons. Oh, there's a weapons room. So, you know, she yeah. realizes that they're attacking her, but uh, Jones, meanwhile, puts them on and realizes in the same weapons room, but Eve is attacking them, so... It was a really, you know, obviously funny scene with you know all of them and and the the ridiculousness and of course like it's you know comments on the ridiculousness of you know kind of putting too much stock in prophecy, right? They're like, why are you attacking us? Well, why are you attacking me? Well, we saw you attack us. Well, I saw you attack me. It's like, okay, right. so maybe just as Tyson says, why don't you just all like not attack each other? How how about that? Right. <laughs> Well, and, and what makes it even more fascinating is that they do know each other. They do know they're all on the same team, but they also know that as much magic as they've dealt with, that maybe there is a compelling reason why I should keep doing what I'm doing, but they both think that. Right. So fortunately, they listen to Tyson. Jones tries a weapon, but it won't work, right? Is that, was that the, yeah. I think, the point where it's real heavy or... Yeah, like... He, he like falls back. He tries to pick up a long sword, and you saw what you saw what Stone picks up. Yeah, you know, a, a hatchet, right? an axe, yeah. of course. Yeah. I don't know what it is. With uh, again, one of you guys out there must know. Come on, this is like the third time at least. Yeah, it's it's definitely a thing for sure. Yeah, because when you remember back in the, uh, the 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 myths or the fables one when he was the huntsman and he had an axe in that one as well. Right, so so Stone knows which door he has to go through, but the problem is he saw himself with a black eye, and he doesn't have a black eye. Right. And you know, Jones is getting impatient. I thought he was just going to slug him, which would have been kind of cool. Sure. But as Stone tells him, show some respect for predestination. Yeah, I want a sign that says that in my room. <laughs> so Jenkins tells Cassandra part of being— You'd say a- you were fated to have get that essay score, Timmy. There you go. Um, Jenkins tells Cassandra that part of being immortal is that he can't see the future. So Cassandra has to hold the cube to her head, 
sees that vision of the oracle of Delphi prophesying her own demise the next time she bathes in the waters of Delphi. Again, as a plot device, I, it, look, 42 minutes, we got to speed things yeah. up. I get that. Right, right. But, I, yeah, this whole bit here with the, the, the Oracle of Delphi, it might slightly start to, I'm not saying off the rails, but you, know, you felt the train moving a little bit. But one thing about the Oracle, though, that did you notice like she had like this blue glow on her chest? Right. Right? So, like, Cassandra, does Cassandra still have that? That thing inside, oh, remember from the? I do. Was that last episode? That I think? Yeah, I know they start to run together. But yeah, <laughs> but, yeah with the uh, oh, is the ice warriors thing? Right. But anyway, she got the the blue thing that got stuck into her chest, and you know that was like the running joke and everything. But here we see the the oracle and has the blue glow in her chest. So at first it was like, so is Cassandra the the oracle? You know. So I don't know. We'll keep an eye on that. I well, think. well, right, and we don't know whether something. You know, inhabits her, whether that's because it's all magic. Right. But the mystery of the black eye resolves itself in sure. a pretty cool way. You know, he opens the door, hits himself with the door, which we've all done at some not, point. I don't know if I've ever done no, that. No, I did it. You know what? I was half asleep when I did it. And, and I thought I was going to have to go to the hospital at like two in the morning to get stitches, but my wife just fashioned a butterfly bandage and I just took a piece of scotch tape survived till the next day so uh I think she's you know with four brothers she's pretty much seen it all in terms of blood Eve is the first one that realizes that Nina is not actually a cleaning lady that she's the oracle of Delphi opens the door to let in the reaper and I mean, look, we know Eve's not going to get killed, but we're still, I mean, that that's part of the fun with the librarians is figuring out how things are going to resolve right. themselves, like with Stone's Black Eye, which I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah. But she lets in the Reaper. She's trying to save herself by changing her own prophecy, the Oracle of Delphi, that is. And then they realize, or they learn, that they're all inside the Oracle's prophecy cube, that they're miniaturized. Yeah. And that Eve's the one that figures out we've been at the library all along, and she starts sending the Morse code with the compact. Right. Which awesome. Is nice. That was, yeah, that, that was a pretty good little uh, plot device there. Uh, you know, they got it with the old, oh, the bad guy made a slip and mentioned something that he or she shouldn't know. And they're like, wait, we never said prophecy cube before. How yeah. do you know about that? You know, and then. Um, Which is cool because I didn't notice it the first time. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's been done. It right? was worse the second time I watched it <laughs> because I <laughs> yeah. knew it was coming. Right, right. But all the you know things about water, the swimming team, the pool, obviously makes sense. The uh, prophetic powers come from bathing in the waters of Delphi. And, and, of course, now the school's pool has some of those powers. But the power of Eve's prophecy cube is going to shatter the oracles, or at least that's the plan. So, so like, here's the thing. So I get the oracle was trying to avoid her fate, right? So she was, she put, she came to America and put the water in the pool, right? Was that, or no, Tyson was putting the water mm-hmm. in the pool, but somehow it's because of her that Tyson went to. Now, Parnassus in the first place, right? Because he, he won some kind of lottery that was a free a, a trip to train there or something right. like that. Okay. All right. So maybe she didn't arrange that, but it just happened that he got a trip to Mount. First of all, like, is there really an Olympic 
in Mount Parnassus. Like, like, hey, Mount Parnassus, Greece. Like, the Greece swim team is, like, so boss, right? Well, like, I mean, I didn't look it up, but I'm assuming, you know, most of the, the mythology that they present here. Yeah. I mean, They'd probably be like, you know, can I go to Colorado Springs and train with the U.S. Oh, team? That's, that's like, why Greece always wins all the swimming of a, oh, wait, that's East Germany. Right? <laughs> no, not anymore. Well, I mean, I, granted, at one time when it was like just Greece, um, you know, they, they, they were, you know, kind of dominated the Olympics, but I, I digress. I mean, obviously I'm tearing apart. Then we got into the 20th something, century. <laughs> something that, well, we, we got into the first century, right? Just pointing out that I thought it was funny that he was like, yeah, I get to go train for the, in Greece, you know, like. Well, the, the one thing that I guess confused me a little bit is that, that we get what the Oracle's trying to do, trying to, you know, eliminate the prophecy that's going to kill her. How is it that she knows about Eve and how, as she says, important she's going to become in the future? Well, she's an oracle, man. Well, okay. She to know these things, Yeah, right? I guess you're, okay. Um, that she would have changed the fate of the library forever. That's pretty powerful stuff, and they are kind of leading us in that direction because, you know, we, we hear about it some more. So I'm really curious to see what's going to happen here. I sure. mean, by the end, and, and and as we've said, that the librarians up to this point have pretty much produced self-contained seasons. That when you get to the end, if they don't get renewed, sure. we're good. If right, they right, do, right. it's we can continue. Right. So, be interesting to see how they handle that. But Eve's the one that figures out that Jenkins just needs to throw the cube out the door. But he can't hear her, so she uses the compact to you know, send, uh, not Morse code. Yeah, I yeah. guess it is. Yeah, Morse code. Right, sure. right. Morse code, yeah. Um, sorry, Nina. Library's closed. And Reaper takes the Oracle. Eve's released. And then I love her line. I won the day with a makeup mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, How often do you get to say that, right? Yeah. So we get to the epilogue. All five are back at the pizza joint because now Jenkins is with them. And Eve thinks Flynn's the one that left her the compact, but Jenkins asks to see it. And of course, it's not an ordinary compact. Mamiko's mirror, Japanese shaman queen. And then we find out that, you know, who guards the library, uh, who guards the guardian, the library. The library does, yes. So um, they, they give us a little bit there with the reference to Eve's importance that it's, you know, so it's not 100% standalone that that there is some kind of linking to the overall story arc here and everything. Um, so, yeah, they, and I think, and we'll see that in the next episode too. They just, they give you a little bit to kind of remind you of that the, the larger conflicts that are at hand here. Okay. Well, fortunately they show us something meaningful in the next episode, but all right. So uh, let's go ahead and jump. I know that didn't sound real positive and, <laughs> Librarians in the Tears of a Clown, episode 305, written by Steve Cryazier and Mark A. Altman, directed by Jonathan Frakes, aired December 18th, 2016. Uh, Right off the bat, uh, this may be my least favorite episode of the entire series. You know, but here's part of my problem. Is that you've got freaking Felicia Day. Yeah. Sean Astin. You've got Sean Astin. Yeah. Jonathan Frakes directing. And this is the best you come up with? 
I mean, I, I, I know that sounds terrible. I, you know, I, I enjoyed it, but I, I don't know. I just, I, um, there was a lot I didn't like about it. So, okay. uh, nice in, insane clown posse reference. Yeah. Yeah. ICP. I haven't heard anyone refer to them in probably about 20 years. So yeah, yeah it's cool. Now, after I got past the visual of Eve having two heads, which huh. again, from a special effects standpoint was done well. Yeah, it's done all right. But what I really liked, though, about that is that we did get a brief look at a side that she keeps suppressed. Mm-hmm. Yep, that and, was good. And that was certainly interesting. And, we, you know, that was more her than any of the others in, in this episode. You mentioned Felicia Day. And the one thing I loved about her role in this is that it was a role that we really don't see her. You know, it, it was where she's got this emotional side, despair, fear. I mean, she really looked terrified, and we don't usually see her in that kind of a role. Right. But the role as the obsessive object of, of uh, affection, probably uh, a lot of sci-fi fans can relate to that, I think. <laughs> well, uh, you mean? Like, there's a lot of people who like are obsessed with Felicia Day. Oh, oh, oh of course, right. But I'm turn, you know, in certain in the roles. I mean, in Dollhouse, you know, it it was, you know, we saw her more as a just a soldier, which was certainly a departure for what we've seen her uh, in other places. But I, I thought she was just really excellent you know, at that role, and yep. and I was glad we got to see a fair amount of both her and Sean Astin. And of course, I mean, if you bring them on board, you better. Yeah, them a lot of screen yeah. time. Yeah, you're not just going to put them in for one season. Right, and, and the fact that they got a lot of screen time together was also pretty cool. Opening scene, we're in Greentown, Kansas at a carnival, so they set up the whole scenario. Young couple's at a booth, the boy's trying to win a prize for the girl, and then he looks up after winning it, and she's off with a, and I'm making air quotes, a magician. <laughs> uh, certainly not, um, you know, magician in the sense that that we've been dealing with in the librarians. But, yeah, I like the the um, the cinematography here, and they use that kind of grindhouse, like kind of blurry type, and you see the the cut lines through it and everything. It was like really neat. So I mean, I thought at first with how she was saying, "Oh, this is uh, so wonderful. I wish we could be here forever." I thought that it was like some people trapped in some kind of alternate universe or something like that. Um, we do find out later that it's just the past. So they show like this kind of like... Right. But then when we get to the end and she explains her way out of things once she realizes who he is and, and what the circumstances were, do we believe her? You know, was she off with the magician? I mean, she says at the end that she just went off to buy tickets to the magic show or whatever it was. Right. Do we believe her? Uh, I mean, or, or I was she know. just thinking quickly on her feet? I, it, it could be either way. I mean, obviously, this guy is not much of a catch. Um, you know, even back then, as the um, the uh, the kid at the carnival was not necessarily an impressive character. So, yeah. well, so we wouldn't really blame her. She just ditched him. Well, true. All right. So you know, right after that, uh, we cut to Oak Park, Iowa today. And we see Sean Astin in a magician's outfit casting a spell on the man whose land his carnival set up. So right away, we establish that however he does it, Sean Astin can use He's magic. Skills. He's got skills. Now, yep. the flower turning out to be the magical mm-hmm. artifact, 
I guess I would have liked a little more explanation about how he acquired it. I mean, he won it, he says, right? Right, because, yeah, like she said, something he won. And at this point, again, circumstances being I could only watch it the one time. I mean, I'm like, he won a teddy bear, didn't he? I, that's what I thought. But, so, but I, th- I thought the teddy bear was going to be the, the thing. They're like the flower. I'm like, wait, where? And I, if, if they established it earlier, I completely missed it. Well, but even, and maybe I did too, but regardless, how did this prize become magical? How did it acquire its magical well, properties? I think they said something about like, A, to being along ley lines, Okay, and, and then you know, like something like maybe like strong emotion involved in something. Like, I I can't. I definitely the part that it, it's because of, with the ley lines are out there, then the magical things are going to get made here. Okay. All right, now I think for a lot of people, myself included, I don't know if we had clowns on our list of creepy individuals way back when we did that many years ago. I don't know if we did. But they should be. And, <laughs> they, and they did Creepy Clown really well in this episode. They did Creepy Clown really, really well. But not really as well as uh, American Horror Story did, like, I guess True. it was three seasons ago. Um, with uh, This episode reminded me a lot of that uh, that season of American Horror Story, though obviously it was much lighter than nope. <laughs> American Horror Story. Well, well right, right. Um, so, like... You know, for me, like clowns, like never really seemed creepy to me. And then, like the older I got, like all of a sudden, like people are like, "Wow, clowns are like really creepy." So I get it; I can see it. You know, like f- for me, I was never really put off by clowns. I just thought they were funny. Yeah. Well, I wondered whether they were going to go really dark because you know Jenkins is walking the grounds of the carnival after he gets that. I guess it was a FaceTime call from Eve telling him to stay away from the carnival. And, you know, we see all the creepy clowns. They find those photo booth photos of Jones and, and Jenkins is investigating. And you know, those in and of themselves were kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we've talked about, you know, old creepy photographs hanging on sure. walls is, is certainly scary. And then when he says something very bad happened here, I really thought they were going to go really dark. Right. It, it did, you're right. It totally seemed like that at first. There was like, at a point, I actually put it in my notes, where I'm like, oh, this is a funny episode. It's not, because the whole time I'm just, I'm like bracing myself for this dark horror aspects of it that never really appeared. Yeah, the clouds were kind of creepy, but they even kind of kept them in the background, you know, like right. at first they were there a lot. And I don't know if I'd want them to go that dark or, you know, I guess it would be nice just to have, you know, it's like, oh, the dark librarians episode. Right, right. But, but do uh, we want that? You're I right. know, Do we I want know. that? I don't think we do want that because no. that the, the humor and the lightness and that's, that's part of it. Like we talked about just a couple minutes ago how, you know, we like the comfort that they're not going to kill off right. one of the librarians. Or Hopefully. are they? Or, or will they? Right. But. We don't think they will. Right. If they do, it'll come as a huge shock because we're totally not expecting anything like that right. at all. Like I said, not <laughs> Walking Dead, not Game of Thrones. Librarians, like major characters, don't get killed off. Bad guys all the time. Yeah, those guys are, are, are doomed. But, uh, you know, like for the, the main librarians, we're pretty sure they're going to be okay. Right. One of the things librarians always does well is use little kids and, and having that little kid hanging around Jenkins sort of lightened the mood. And I think that that let us know that 
they're probably not going to go as dark as we think. But when we see that tableau with Jones as a snake charmer, Cassandra as the mermaid, Stone as the strong man, that was, yeah. I mean, it was creepy in a different kind of way. Right. You know, because we've seen horrors where the psycho, you know, basically sets up a tableau with his victims mm-hmm. and whether he's got them whether they're already dead or whether he's got them um, confined somehow, which is sort of the case here, we find out they've been transmorgified. I think he says the first time, yeah. Which I'm not sure is a real thing. I, you know, I, I, they used to show up in Calvin and Hobbes all the time. They would, they, he had a transmogrifier, was is a big box that they would go into and change. So I think it's probably an actual word, but just not one that's used a lot outside of Calvin and Hobbes and the librarians. Nice. Well, I think later he calls it a transmutation. So maybe that's the, uh, I don't know, another form of the word. But Sean Aston, I think at this point, we don't know, yet know what his name is. And um, I called him Rudy the whole time. <laughs> Rudy. Well, <laughs> Kirby, we find out, which is close to Rudy. It's kind right. of why. So really quickly, Sean Aston, is he more Rudy or Samwise to you? Sam. Sam, okay. Yeah, he's just. A oh, little, you mean you mean as an actor or like who? What do you think of? Oh no, heard, I think you, of Rudy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, I've seen that movie. Like I watch it every time it comes on. Sure, sure. At, no matter what point it's on. Yeah, though you know, like Sam Gamgee was probably the, a bigger role for him. Um, you know, every time I see him, like I say, "Hey, Rudy!" Like if I saw him in the street, I'd be like, "Rudy!" Right. Certainly you a know? bigger paycheck. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely much bigger paycheck. Probably. Oh, he's in Con Man also, right? I've never seen Con Man. You haven't seen Con Man? No. Okay. He's he's I'm pretty sure he's in Con Man. There's a great scene where uh, Alan Tudyk and he are at the hotel bar where the uh-huh. convention's going on. And the people but, keep calling him Rudy, is that uh, like, no, no, I don't no. think so. But they, they you know, they recognize him mostly and it's like, oh yeah, they they sort of recognize Alan Tudyk's character. <laughs> but uh, Kirby's upset that the librarians have escaped. His little tableau sends the clowns to bring him back. And then uh, Jenkins manages to get them back through the portal. What'd you think about their uh, their their clown? Uh, yeah, it's makeup. You know, it, it's funny because um, obviously they it, it's you know highly satiric and everything. It's supposed to uh, they get out and they're doing the slow walk and, and everything. And the music that kind of sounds like the Kill Bill music, right? Um, and that never gets old for me, by the way. Right, right. And there's, there's, and we saw it before where they're doing the slow walk and Cassandra trips and falls. Right. And now they're doing the slow walk, but they're all dressed up like clowns. So they, every time they do the slow walk, they, they do it with tongue firmly in cheek. Yes, yes. And I like it. So uh, well, we find out about Felicia Day, who plays Charlotte, and she's got this golden ticket that, that again, we learn the great Mysterium, or, oh, I'm sorry, the amazing Mysterium has sent her. And, and again, it almost harkens back to the invitation that the library sends to the potential librarians. Right. But, but she is just this humble waitress. She's got her waitress uniform on, the, like that she works in a diner in a small town somewhere. We've seen this uniform hundreds of times. She's got to get back to work. She just wants, you know, give me what I won, which right. was kind of, Pitiful, you know, in a way. A little bit. But also, if you show up to something where they say, we're going to you know, pay you money just to show up or we're going to give you a free trip just to show up, you know, it's, 
you're not just going to show up, right? There's there's a reason why. It's not just people like, oh, I just want to give away a bunch of free trips or, oh, man, all this money sitting around. I just want to give it to random people. So, you know, there, there's a reason you should probably avoid it altogether. Well, that's true. And we actually, I guess we're in a society now that if somebody tells you you win something, you, you're more likely to throw it away than contact the phone number or the whatever. Absolutely. All right. So uh, Jenkins has a concoction that will help them with the after effects of their transmutations. Also, though, so they can remember uh, what prompted them you know, to, to get on this case to begin with. And, and, of course, we find out that the clipping book sent them to a hospital room in Iowa with a female juggler in a coma. And, um, you know, we, we come to learn that, well, what, she was this high-powered lawyer and just, like, walked away from her six-figure job to be a circus juggler? Yeah, it could happen. It could happen, yeah. yeah. Um, um, well, I like how the thing he, that Jenkins gave him, he said it's uh, it will restore your memories, also good for clogged drains. I'm, like, thinking... You know, I could I could use that like for both of those things. Like that'd be very useful around the house. Yeah, good point. So, so Jones and Stone go to find out where the clowns came from, but they all get taken by the clowns, and that's when we learn that that Sean Astin can make people do whatever he wants. And, and again, it's one of those powers that we've seen before, and rarely ends well. That's that's for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, it's, it's one of maybe even the most frightening, most disgusting powers, because essentially what it is you're doing, which is taking somebody's ability to control who they are and what they do away from them. And yeah, that, that's pretty, pretty nasty. But yeah. they start Googling the amazing Mysterium, don't find anything on the internet, which I yeah, find out that's that's ridiculous that that would happen. Right, although the <laughs> carnival just popped up, so right, you know, yeah, um, oh, right. I guess his the whole amazing Mysterium thing was created just to find this this girl, right? Okay, and, and we also know that clearly the writers have been listening to the podcast because we haven't seen Cassandra doing any of the hand waving. Oh yeah, right, right. Now well, see, here's how, you see our, our effect on the world. Well, right? she's using her uh, Sherlock powers. Yeah, well, and she even mentions she refers to her ability to see patterns, you know, but she doesn't, you know, actually draw the patterns. Above right her. here, she remembers the cape, and you know, the only place. I'm, that's okay, made. guys, writers, I'm, I'm letting you know you can do it. You don't. We didn't tell you you had to stop doing it all together. Right. We'll let you do it every once in a while. I think we're just overusing a little bit, but you guys are fine to do it every now and then. Don't, don't, I feel bad now. Uh, yeah. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Jenkins has these smelling salts. I think he calls them that, that bring Kirby's followers back to normal, but he realizes, okay, we got to find something that he holds dear. And, and of course we're like, uh, Felicia day, Felicia day. Sure. Well, I, I thought, you know, the, now, once I, now, because they don't, you know, I, I figured out um, that, you know, I th- oh, okay, oh, the, the the kid and the girl from the beginning, now that's, you know, I f- before they said it, I kind of figured it out. So now I'm like, okay, um, so it must be like the teddy bear, right? I right. Thought, because that was like the big, they made a big deal of him winning the teddy bear. Right? Yeah, right. And, and then when they finally 
get together physically in this episode, and he just comes across so aggressively that, that it just really spooks her, because at this point, she still doesn't remember him. And of course, we we realize he's been going through, I forget what her last name is, but... Holloway. Holloway. He's gone, she's, he's gone through all the Charlotte Holloways in the phone book. Yeah. Like, so how many... <laughs> I should actually just Google that just to see how many Charlotte Holloways there actually are, because it doesn't seem like that's a name that there's going to be like loads of people with that name you know right but you know he mentions and, and we get that you know i can give you what you always wanted and all that but then he mentions the ascension which just kind of gets thrown out there and not really dealt with or answered right or did mm-hmm. i again or did i miss something uh, i don't think you missed something but if you did i probably missed it too so. okay so you know i i don't know whether that's just limited to him and that's the last we'll hear of it or if that's something that might tie into Eve and, and what her role in the library is going to be as we go forward. But either way, she's completely freaked out. He's eventually got to restrain her, which, again, goes back to what virtually every psychopath in yeah, every show he's always just does. So many, like he's, just, he's just got to slow his roll a little bit here, you know? Like, come on, dude. Like, I, I know you're... You really like are into this girl and everything, but come on, man, you're you're, you're coming on too strong, right? And we we learn well. Eve thinks that it's not that he's using magic on her because I don't know exactly how she figures this out, but that he needs her attention to be real. I'm not. Maybe she figures that's what a normal guy would want. I don't want you to love me because I've got a gun to your head. I want you to love me, you know, but right. but this is a psycho. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want you to love me because I'm controlling your mind and tie you to a chair, you know. Right. I need you to see the inner me. Right. And The how, one not tying you but, up. And, and again, and I get that 42 minutes, I get all that, but it would have been interesting to learn how how did his life go that he ended up in this place? Right. You know, did yeah that you know you get a fair point there that we really yeah it goes from like zero to sixty right like we just see him as a kid experiencing heartbreak uh, as a youth and now boom all of a sudden he's this you know psychotic overly obsessed um, weirdo right and how he acquired the flower how he learned that it was magical or of course he doesn't really I don't think he realizes the flower is magic right. No, I can't remember. That's like you said. No, because he gets really upset about the flower. Okay. It also could be because it's special to him, right? I I think he realizes that the flower. Well, what was not special clearly to Jones is the magic spectrometer because he just leaves it lying on the table for the clowns to find. Do you know how much that thing costs? (laughs) I was waiting for a number, but. Yeah, yeah, that that was great because like. We don't think of such pedantic things as like budgets and things like that. Sure, um, but you know that that line there reminds you. Oh yeah, it's actually an organization that, that is we presume on some kind of budget. Though, how do they make money? Though, that's that's. I don't, have we raised that issue before? Uh, we have not. You know, like how do they eat? You know, how do they? Yeah, I mean, obviously, who funds the library? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so say that in Latin. Right? Yeah, so. I love Cassie freeing Charlotte again. It 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 took us back to the uh, what are they ice ice giants snow giants I can't remember what they're called. We should know that from Marvel Universe if nothing else. You know, so she frees Charlotte, but they all think the wand 
it's like, duh, it's the wand. Right. And of, sure. course, of course, it's not the wand. That idea of making wax figures out of them, that was brilliant, the way they... Because you, you, you saw what Stone did, right? Yeah. Yeah, he, he pretended he threw it in, but he... he... And so what did that make you think of? I don't know. When Jones was the werewolf and he was like he would throw things and then he would and Jones would run after oh, it. Oh right, 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 right. Yes. And I'm I'm sure there were a few times when he pretended to throw it and Jones ran after it. But <laughs> uh so we get to the end and Charlotte remembers Kirby and that's then that's when she tells him that she walked away to get tickets to see the magic show. When she returned he was gone. Okay, I guess we believe her. We'll give her the benefit. That's Felicia Day, for goodness sake. Yeah. You know, honestly, the, the first time I I said it, I, I said it. The first time I watched it, which was the only time, as I said before, I, I didn't even think that she might be lying. But now you mentioned it, that at least as far as a, a human level, seems entirely possible that she would have come up with the story that she knew he wanted to hear. Right. Because when you, I mean, like I said, I mean, look at this guy. He's obviously, I mean, is he more obsessed now than he was back then? Is he more of a weirdo now than he was back then? I think not, right? She probably realized how weird and over-possessive he was back then. It seems like her ditching him might have been, but also then she seems like a really nice person. So we don't, wouldn't think that she would have. You know, just dumped them like that, especially for like you know, goofy magician guy. You know, well, you wouldn't think, but again, I like that we don't really know and that we're you know still talking about it because she does. If she was buying tickets, why wasn't she at a ticket booth? Why was she talking to the magician? No, she's talking about she's going to get tickets to the magic show. So maybe you know, yeah, okay. Well, regardless, you know, we find out how Stone you know, solves the problem, and okay, that was. Pretty cool into yeah. a vat of hot wax. So the carnival disappears. We see a lot of the participants talking to DOSA agents. So that was kind of cool the way they, you know, worked that in at the end there. Right. And um, no Vanessa Williams, unfortunately. Right. But yeah, was, I guess, you know, she's got a limited amount of episodes. She, she said she would be in. But, um, but here we, what we talked about last episode is like the little tie in with the overall mythology, right? Just. That, so it's not 100% standalone, that there is some kind of just brief reminder of the larger issues that are at stake here. Right, sure. So, But, you know, I like, they're picking up the trash, bagging things as evidence. And again, like what we said last time we, we talked about DOSA, they don't really know what they're doing. I mean, they, they kind of, they got a lot of cool gear, but they don't really know what they're doing. So. Right. Lead agent, oh, here comes Michael. Oh, too bad we don't have a third microphone set up for him. But I don't think he, I think he's like two seasons behind on yes. oh, Okay. <laughs> but uh, the lead agent has the board with the photo booth photos. Even Cassandra's are still there. So, again, it's not as if Dosa doesn't know about the librarian. So right. I'm not sure what we're supposed to think there. You know, maybe just confirm for them that the librarians were here first or something? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. What what is it? Because it's like, well, big deal. Yeah. They were there. We assume Dos might have even known that they were there. Yeah, right. Because they've been tracking. Have they? Wasn't that one of the things they've been tracking? Yeah. The librarians? Yeah. yeah. So it's like, I mean, I guess the big takeaway, and it's it's pretty darn big, is that 
now there are magic artifacts that are new, that are not Excalibur, that are not historic, you know, so that this is kind of a big thing, and I guess it's, it almost seems as if it's something that Jenkins did not anticipate. Right. It seems like they didn't really think about it until just now, but now they're like, oh, well, of course that would happen. But Right. Um, and I guess they used magic to build the new wing pretty quickly yeah. for the new artifacts. Yeah. Yeah, that's a. They're obviously expecting a lot of new artifacts because that that wing's pretty sizable. Yep. You know, when I watched the episode the first time, I was thinking, I'm almost don't want to say this out loud, but I was thinking maybe C plus. Ooh. I know that's Whoa. that's pretty radical. So wow. maybe I'll go B minus because, I, I mean, it, it had its qualities. There's there's no doubt, but there was just something that just didn't sit well with me. And it well, wasn't the creepiness of the clowns, because that, that, that would be good. I, I think you kind of, uh, you at least alluded to it earlier, if not directly stated how they, well, no, you directly stated that there was just a lot that they tried to get into the 42 minutes. And there's probably some pretty big gaps. Not probably. There are some significant narrative gaps that um, are, are in the episode that, you know, again, the episode gets by without these, you know, the, these um, plots, fill-ins. But, yeah, it just seems like a lot. Like, for example, like the little kid in the beginning, you know, who I yeah. thought was hilarious. I thought that kid was great. Oh, yeah. So you think he's going to be kind of tagging along for the whole thing, but he's gone after like five minutes, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else you want to say about this one? Um, no. I, I, so I think I will give the uh, episode 0304 – I will give a uh, a B plus, okay. and O three O five. I'm just going to give a straight B. Okay, no, it's we're not too far apart. I wouldn't even consider like if I give it a C, then I'm 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 not I'm done with the the episode. <laughs> oh, but not the show. Am I done with? Well, I might be done with the show if they, no, if they not if, they, if they're one. If they give me a C oh. if they toss a C out there. They might be done with you, but you know. Okay. All right, well we'll see. All right, all right. Well. Um, it's amazing that we have this here. You know, we was it was looking dark for Sci-Fi TV rewatch this week, and especially with uh, Christmas right around the corner. Uh, oh my goodness! But, yep. Uh, yeah, it, it was. weren't sure whether. Yeah. We get it so uh, yeah. you know, the next time we talk to you guys, it'll probably be after the holiday. So we want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. And Just have a happy holiday. Happy holiday. Whatever, however you roll. Exactly. Uh, so. Enjoy, hopefully, at least one day off. All right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us. Uh, I usually say tonight, but it's... Just, so it's a Sunday, though, so everyone probably had the day off. Yeah, good point. Unless you so, work retail. Then yeah, you might that's true. Oh, sorry. Yeah. All right. Love to hear from you with follow-ups about uh, any of the librarians' episodes that we've been talking about, anything you think we should be watching. I'd like to encourage you to join the Facebook group. If you're already a member, spread the word. Emails, as always, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week to discuss Season 3, Episode 6, titled The Librarians and the Trial of the Triangle. But until then... At which point, you all are going to become a permanent part of my House of Horrors. <laughs>